call them cool. Those hearts that have no scars to show. The ones that never do let go and risk the table being turned. We call them fools who have to dance within the flame. Who chance the sorrow and the shame? It always comes with getting burned. But you got to be tough when consumed by desire. It's not enough just to stand outside the fire. We call them strong. Those who can face this world alone, who seem to get by on their own, those who will never take the fall. We call them weak, who are unable to resist the slightest chance love might exist, and for that forsake it all. They're so hell-bent on giving, walking a wire. Convinced it's not living if you stand outside the fire. Standing outside the fire. Standing outside the fire. Life is not tried, it is merely survived if you're standing outside the fire. Think and this is the Christagenia Open Forum. It is Sunday, March 14th, 2011. I've been asked several times this year um, about marital relationships and Christian obligation to a spouse, especially when the spouse is not um, of, of our Christian identity persuasion. 
and, and I have two women that, that I feel are, are um, very dear to me that have um, problems with, with non-Christian identity believing husbands and, and they'll both hear this and I pray I don't, it, it's a very difficult situation, and, and there's several men also in this situation, and, and um, this question has come up, it comes up every couple of weeks, actually, but with somebody or another, but but it's a difficult topic, and, and um, the best way I know to address it is to read 1 Corinthians chapter 7 in conjunction with some other scriptures, and, and that might give us enough information as as to how to guide our lives in this situation. It, it's the um, if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 basically three times Paul says that he's only giving opinions in, in this very matter and, and that's because the scripture gives us no solid definitive guideline so the most Paul can give us is an opinion and, and certainly, certainly I can't do better than Paul that, that's just the way it is I'm going to start by reading 1 Corinthians 7, and in, in, I'm going to read all of it and, and give my own comments plus some other scriptures in, in the meantime, and, and this probably will only take about 30 minutes, and if anybody has some, so, some input when, when we're finished, I, w- I would certainly appreciate it, and I'm sure it'll be edifying for those who are listening. Well, 1 Corinthians 7.1, this is the Christogenia translation, of course. Now concerning those things you have written, it is admirable for a man not to join to a woman, and we'll see why later. Paul is talking in this context. But because of fornication, each man must have his own wife, and each woman must have her own husband. For now I'll just cite Matthew 19.12, For there are eunuchs who have been born thusly from the womb of a mother, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who make themselves eunuchs on account of the kingdom of the heavens. In the words of Christ, Matthew 19.12, He being able to comprehend, must comprehend. 1 Corinthians 7.3 Husband must render the obligation due to the wife, and in like manner, the wife also to the husband. I had an email about a month ago from a gentleman who doesn't come here but who listens to many of the podcasts and and he asked me about sexual obligation in marriage and that's really what Paul is talking about here and and there are many examples that we could draw on from the Old Testament what where the sexual uh, the the, the um, a spouse is obligated to fulfill his wife or her husband's sexual desires that's what Paul is talking about here the husband must render the obligation due to the wife and in like manner the wife also to the husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband. In other words, the husband has a say over the wife's body. Physical body, that's the way it is. And it's reciprocal, because Paul then says, And in like manner also, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife. Marriage is a partnership. A wife has as much say over what 
husband does with himself as the husband does, and vice versa. Neither husband or wife should do anything to themselves in any way without the consent of the other. In other words, you should never have to hear, Oh, honey, do you want to see the big tattoo I got on my ass this afternoon? That's the way it is. However, as Paul says elsewhere, the husband is the head of the wife. Patriarchal society is the biblical model for both community and family structure, and it is simply natural to our race. And our enemies, the Jews, hate it. We must seek to keep it intact. I want to read Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 33. Subject yourselves to one another in fear of Christ. Wives to their own husbands, as if to the prince, or to Christ, as I translate it, to to the Lord. Because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the assembly, meaning us. He is the deliverer of the body, meaning all of the children of Israel. But the, as the assembly is subject to Christ, in that manner also, wives in everything to the husbands. Husbands love the wives, just as Christ has also loved the assembly, and had surrendered himself for it, in order that he would consecrate it, cleansing it, in the bath of the water in the word, not in ritual baptism, that he may present it to himself in honor, the assembly not having a blemish or a wrinkle or any of such things, but that it would be holy and blameless. So husbands are obliged to love their own wives as their own bodies. You can't divorce your own body, can you? He who is loving his own wife loves himself. No one has at any time hated his own flesh, but nourishes and comforts it, just as also Christ the assembly, because we are members of his body. For this reason shall a man leave father and mother and shall join to his wife. And that works in the opposite also. Everything in the law is reciprocal. When it's mentioned of a husband, it's good for the wife too. And the two shall be for one flesh. This mystery is great, and I speak for Christ and for the assembly. Nevertheless, each and every one of you must love his own wife as himself, and the love should and, and the wife should see that she should fear the husband. So we see that wives should be sub- subject to their husbands, but husbands and wives should also in many respects be subject to one another. Colossians 3:18 through 21 Wives, subject yourselves to the husbands as is proper with the prince or the Lord. Husbands, love the wives and have no bitter feelings towards them. A lot of um, women's liberation advocates fault Paul, and and um, and actually they, they they hate Paul for saying things like that. But let's read one Peter chapter three verses one through five. Likewise, and this is Peter. Likewise, the wives being subject to their own husbands, in order that if some disobey. The word, through the conduct of the wives, meaning the husbands, if the husbands disobey the word, through the conduct of the wives, they shall have advantage without the word. Observing in fear your pure conduct. In other words, the wife, Peter is saying, should be subject to her husband, but the wife should also be model of obedience in the family unit. And in that way, the husband would see her example. Verse 2 in 1 Peter chapter 3, Observing in fear your pure conduct, 
of which the dress must not be outward with braids of hair and applications of gold or putting on of garments, but the hidden man of the heart with the incorruptibility of the gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious before Yahweh. Peter saying that wives should seek to please God and husband rather than to seek to own the most possible outfits and jewelry and, and gouty clothes and, and things like that because sanctity and, and obedience to God is not in braids of hair and applications of jewelry or gold or putting on of fancy garments. For thusly at one time also the holy women who have hope in Yahweh had dressed themselves being subject to their own husbands meaning that they had just dressed themselves with modesty, which is very important, as Sarah had obeyed Abraham, calling him master, whose children you have been born to, good, to do good and not fearing any terror. So, so Peter is also teaching, as Paul did, that wives should be subject to their husbands. 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Do not withdraw from one another. Unless an agreement for a time in order that you devote time to prayer and come together again into one place, that the adversary would not tempt you due to your incontinence. And we are all incontinent, right? Husbands and wives must seek each other's company and not leave each other alone. The night out with the boys is basically a Jewish paradigm in our society. Being away from our wives or husbands, we are easily tempted because men and women are naturally incontinent. It's just the way it is. We're all sinners. 1 Corinthians 7, 6. Now I say this in the way of a consent, not in the way of a command. But I wish all men to be even as myself, but each has his own gift from Yahweh, and this manner one and that manner another. But I say to those unmarried and to those widowed, well for them it is if perhaps they should remain even as I. All forsook marriage, the work of the gospel, he explains this in 1 Corinthians 9.5, and he, he, he encourages us to do the same thing if perhaps we are put into that situation. 1 Corinthians 7.9, But if they have no self-control, they must marry, for it is better to be married than to be inflamed. Sexual desire is powerful, and it's hard not to want to satisfy. The natural fulfillment of sexual desire is marriage. This is one of the things that is supposed to distinguish us from the beasts. Except that in today's society, most of us have become like beasts. If you have sexual relations with a woman and she is a virgin, she is now your wife. If she is not a virgin, she was already somebody else's wife. 1 Corinthians 7.10 now, today who are married, I give order, not I, but the prince, for a wife not to be separated from a husband, but if perhaps then she does separate, she must remain unmarried, or to the husband be reconciled, and the husband not to put away a wife. Divorce was allowed by Moses for the hardness of our hearts. However, marriage is supposed to be for life, and that is the godly model. Luke 16:18 Christ says anyone who divorces his wife or puts away his wife same thing and marries another commits adultery and she being divorced from a man commits adultery marrying I believe in Matthew it's recorded that or it may be it may be in Mark it's recorded that 
If a man puts away his wife, he forces her to commit adultery. That's because in a Greco-Roman world, it was very, very difficult for a woman to support herself, so she would be, he would be forcing her into the arms of another man. 1 Corinthians 7.12 Now furthermore, I, not the prince, in other words, Paul here is saying that he's giving advice, and, and we'll see that also later. I, not the prince, because there's no exact commandment, say... If any brother has an unbelieving wife, and she consents to dwell with him, he must not put her away. And any woman who has an unbelieving husband, and he consents to dwell with her, she must not divorce that husband. Our responsibility to the community, to our race, and to our God, come before our own personal comfort. Just because you now believe something differently from your husband or your wife, even though it is the truth, does not mean that you should suddenly take your marriage commitment for granted and seek to dispose of it. However, it also does not mean that you should be forced to dishonor Yahweh our God. And your unbelieving husband or wife must respect that. We must foremost and above all keep the commandments which Christ told us to keep, and that is where we should draw that line. Peter and John told the Pharisees, in Acts 5.29, it is necessary to be obedient to Yahweh rather than to men. 1 Corinthians 7.14 The unbelieving husband has been sanctified in the wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified in the brother or husband. Otherwise, then, your children are unclean, while now they are holy. This is a very enigmatic, enigmatic statement. And let me first say that this does not mean that non-Adamic children are clean, or could ever be clean. Paul is talking about a relationship in marriage, not a relationship in fornication. Fornication is not marriage. It's fornication. Whether your husband or wife believes the truth or not, meaning your Adamic husband or wife believes the truth or not, your children can indeed be sanctified, made separate and holy for Yahweh. That's what sanctified means. Through your belief and the example which you set for them. 1 Corinthians 7.15 But if the unbelieving separates himself, meaning the unbelieving spouse, let him separate himself brother or the sister is not reduced to bondage in these instances but in peace Yahweh has called us if your spouse cannot cope with your Christian identity beliefs do not feel burdened if the marriage must end but it must be your spouse's doing and not your own you must show God that you were willing to live up to your commitment and you are not to be troubled if your spouse fails Note verse 27, where Paul tells us that if we have a spouse, not to seek release on our own accounts for ourselves. We were told by Christ that the faith would break families, and if we believe him, we are not to be burdened when we find that his words are true. So if you have a spouse that doesn't believe Christian identity, and can't cope with it, and, and your spouse chooses to leave, well, well that's fine. And, and that's not your fault ever. But you have to try to live up to your commitment in your marriage and, and show God that you're willing to do that. Well, well Bruce, I said this is um, 
Yeah, you know, we're talking about relations in marriage here. We're not talking about relations in fornication. Fornication is not marriage. It's sin. There's a huge difference. 1 Corinthians 7.16 Indeed, how do you know, wife, if you shall keep the husband? Or how do you know, husband, if you shall keep the wife? Only as the prince, Yahshua, has distributed to each... As each Yahweh has called, thus he must walk, and thusly in all of the assemblies I, meaning Paul, prescribe. Notice that Paul said that this is his own prescription, because there are no set examples in the scripture which govern these circumstances. Paul followed the scripture as far as he could, and and, and then from the verse 6, his own opinion takes over. Because the Old Testament law or the Gospel can be a guide, but without precise examples or commandments, all we have are the opinions of men. And Paul recognizes as much here, and in verses 6 and 12, verses 18 through 25 which follow, have nothing to do with marriage, but I will repeat them anyway, because they serve for another important example. 1 Corinthians 7.18 Being circumcised, has anyone been called? One must not be induced, meaning persuaded to be circumcised. In uncircumcision, has anyone been called? One must not be circumcised. In other words, if you're not circumcised, don't rely on a ritual circumcision to save you, because Christ already did. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but an observation of the commandments of Yahweh, each In the calling in which he has been called, in this he must abide. A bondman have you been called? It must not be a concern to you. But then, if you have the ability to become free, rather, you use it. For he who is called a bondman and a prince is a freedman of the prince. Likewise, he who is called free is a bondman of Christ. You have been purchased for a price, and you should not become slaves of men. Each in that which he has been called, brethren, in that he must remain before Yahweh, unless you have a legitimate means by which to change your station. As Paul said, that if you are a slave and you have an opportunity or an ability to become free, you use it. It doesn't mean you escape. It means you purchase your freedom. We should accept our station in life, that station which Yahweh has assigned to us, and do our best to serve him with what we have been given. The test of the Christian, as we learn from the parable of the talents and and other places in the scripture, is not how much we have or how far we succeed, but rather what we do with what we have been given. 1 Corinthians 7.25 Now concerning virgins, a commandment of the prince I do not have, but I give an opinion. Again, Paul says he's giving his opinion. As one having received mercy from the prince, to be trustworthy. Really then, I suppose that to be such, meaning to be a virgin, is good because of the present violence. A phrase very poorly translated in the King James. That it is well for a man to be so. First, as in verses 6 and 12, Paul again in verse 25 admits he is only giving an opinion since he has nothing explicit in the scriptures to draw from, which we should always look to first, right? Because of the present violence, 
These words are not so explicit in the King James Version. At the time when Paul wrote this, persecutions of Christians were taking place under Claudius and later under Nero. The political and economic climate was very difficult for Christians, only because of the chances of losing one's spouse in persecution was Paul suggesting that perhaps people should refrain from marriage for that reason. Otherwise, at Hebrews 13.4, Paul says that marriage is valuable in every way, likewise the undefiled bed. Verse 27, Have you been bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Have you been released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Remember, Paul is giving advice here because of the present violence. But if then you should be married, you have not erred, and if perhaps the virgin should be married, she has not erred. In in other words, Paul would expect only a virgin to become married. You have not erred, and if perhaps the virgin should be married, she has not erred, but such as these will have anxiety in the flesh. And for my part of you, I am merciful. The remark concerning anxiety in the flesh supports the interpretation of the preceding statement that Paul was advising refrain from marriage only because of the present violence, as we see him state in verse 26. While marriage is indeed a necessary institution, especially for the building of the kingdom of Yahweh, the end of Paul's discourse here reveals the conflict that marriage causes us, since with wives and children, concerns for fleshly things are inevitable. I will read the balance of the chapter with a few notes. 1 Corinthians 7.29 Now I say this, brethren, the time is shortening. Henceforward it is that even those having wives may be as not having, and those weeping as not weeping, and those rejoicing as not rejoicing, and those trading as not possessing. Let me say that Paul taught the imminent return of Christ, and that's because Christians should always act as if the return of Christ is imminent. Verse 31, And those using this society for themselves as not abusing, we know who those people are, Indeed, the form of this society passes away. But I wish for you to be unconcerned. The unmarried cares for the things of the prince, for Yahshua Christ, how he shall please the prince. But he who marries cares for the things of the society, how he shall please the wife. And he is divided. In other words, we can't please God and mammon, right? It's difficult. And the unmarried woman and a virgin care for the things of the prince, that she should be holy in both body and spirit. Being married, she cares for the things of the society, how she shall please the husband. Paul's just illustrating that this is going to be a conflict amongst us, that, that there's no avoiding this. Now I say this for your advantage, not that I would cast a net upon you, but in respect to decency, and constantly awaiting on the prince without cause for anxiety. But if one does consider to be unseemly toward his virgin, this is a euphemism for sexual relations, if perhaps he is beyond adolescence, and in this way he ought to be, and Paul says that because people at that time also married at a very young age, 
that with that which he wishes he must do, he does not err, they must marry. Again, here we see that sexual relations are the act of marriage. But he who has stood firm, steadfast in his heart, not holding forcibly, but who has authority over his own will, in other words, has self-restraint, and he has decided in his heart to keep himself a virgin, he does well, and therefore he that is giving himself to a virgin in marriage will do well, but he not giving in marriage will do better. This is a reference again to Christ's words, the eunuch for this kingdom of heaven's sake, to serve the community and not one's own desires. Verse 39, a wife is bound for as long a time as her husband may live, but if perhaps her husband should die, she is free to be married to whom she wishes. Now this last verse is very poorly translated in the King James Version. Alone in the prince, if perhaps then she is happier, so she should remain. According to my opinion, again we see the fourth time, this is only Paul's opinion, and I think that I also have the spirit of Yahweh. This last sentence, which is poorly translated in the King James, means that a, a woman who chooses to stay alone in the prince or the Lord, a woman who is divorced or widowed, widowed who chooses to serve the community, may be better off doing that rather than remarrying. So we see that we are bound to our commitment in marriage, but we could not put the laws of God and our commitment to God ahead of that. If an unbelieving husband or an unbelieving wife chooses to remain with the Christian identity believer, the Christian identity believer should certainly remain committed to that husband or wife. However, we seek to please God first, and that husband or wife cannot expect us to violate the laws of our God, because they are preeminent. And, and that's what I have to say on the marriage situation. If anybody wants to talk, that, that's fine. And yes, I I I I, I um, feel bad that Cammy keeps dropping off. That satellite service is horrible because I'm I'm pretty sure she would have had some input into this conversation. I would encourage anybody who um, has anything to say to right click on your name and and request talk power so I could turn your microphone on. This is an open forum and and um, that requires input. Hello, Bruce. Hello. Hello, Bella Frank. How are we doing today? Good, good. I, 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 my beast broke down. I was riding on the beast, and the oil spouted out of the radiator water. It's okay to get oil in the water, but it's not good to get water in the oil. You mean your truck? Yeah. Well, I hope somebody wants to. I hope somebody wants to talk besides all the divorce guys. Let me tell you. How you doing, Muniker? <laughs> We're a bunch of models for marriage. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Munich won't even talk to me now. <laughs> well, when you're married to a non-atomite, you know it's. Uh, but, well, that's not a marriage situation. That doesn't. That that has no bearing here. So I've never really been married, really. That's a situation. That's a fornication. That's a relationship in fornication. It's not a marriage situation. It's it, it's a legal problem because you have a financial obligation as far as the state is concerned. And you got yourself into that mess, and, and you got to get yourself out. But that that's um, it's not a marriage situation. Oh yeah, and it's not the whole of life; it's just part of it, you know. Difficulty sometimes is what do you do if, like your brother, like my brother, you're always running around with Jewish women. But well, he's a fornicator. He's not getting married. He's he's committing fornication. 
Well, he's a jerk on top of it. But ra- well, right, but race mixing is fornication. Race mixing is, is... I can't see how it could be marriage. Oh, it wouldn't be. Well, what do you do when they run around anyway, you know? Try and stay away from them, I guess. But, well, right, you could tell them the word, but you can't make them abide by it. It's your obligation to tell them what the law of God is and, 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 and what he's doing, but you can't make them live it. That he has to choose for himself. That's why we're told that this word would divide families. But we're told the word of God would pit mother against daughter-in-law or mother against son-in-law and on and on. Some of these do-good Christians, these Bible thumpers, though, they take that a little too much. They almost provoke it. I've seen that. Uh, they'll almost push the button, you know, and insist, like a person's about ready to drop into hell if they just don't do what this other guy tells them to do type of thing. They almost take that too much. I think the conflict is more quiet conflict where I said, okay, well, you know, I just thought I'd mention it type of an attitude, and you just go about your business without making a... It reminds me of these people, you go to a Thanksgiving dinner, you know, and one of them's not eating any turkey, and they go look at the scowls of everybody else and says, they ask why they don't have any turkey on their plate. Says, well, I never eat anything with a face on it, making everybody feel bad, you know. There are ways of being able to convince people of what you're right, and there are ways of insulting them to where they never listen to you, even if you are right. The sound of silence. Yeah. But well, if um, if, if that's about it on this topic, we could talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the list of people there. You know what we ought to do? I ought to do this. I got the power. Oh, don't don't unmute anybody that doesn't want to be unmuted. Don't no, do that. I think what we should do is, if they don't want to say anything, dump them for a while. No, oh, don't do that. Oh, it's terrible. Hey, look at what you are just talking about, Muniker, and you want to dump them? Yeah. They're all right. Nice. Some, some people need to listen more than talk. I'm probably the first one to admit that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I guess I might as well chime in here. How's everybody doing tonight? Hello, Matt. We're all divorces and stuff like that. We're, we're men of experience. Right. <laughs> I'd actually be interested to, to hear what uh, Mike Delaney has to say on the subject. Most of you uh, here know that uh, Cheryl's my wife, and you know we just had our uh, 10-year vow renewal um, in January. Um, Eli and Bill presided over it, but I'll tell you what, um, it, it it was a knockdown, dragout fight there for a little while, and um, I I wasn't going to give up. I mean, I definitely had to look to scripture um, to to really guide me on it, and uh, you know, I sought the advice of of many of you in Christian identity and. I can't be happier with with our decision to uh, stay together and work on the marriage, and and I can honestly say that we're getting along better than we ever have. Well, when when a relationship between a, a white man and a white woman disintegrates, society just falls apart real quick. But well, it's a, it's a, it's a noble thing to face your trials head on and try to work together to maintain your commitment. That that's the best thing that you could do before God. Well, and and my uh, my main issue was, I mean, I, you know, I'm fairly new to Christian identity, I guess. I mean, I I've, I am uh, I consider myself a 
in identity for about two years now, but I mean, I was very, um, very close to Yahweh, I think, for quite a while, and when I, um, when I got married, I, uh, I made the most solemn promise. I never made a promise like it before or after where, you know, I promised to love and cherish my wife for the rest of my life in the name of Yahweh and Yahshua in their presence. And that was, that's a promise there was no way I could back out on. Well, well no, I, I think that it's a wonderful thing to be able to um, face the trials of life and maintain your commitments because that shows, I believe that shows God that you're willing to do at least try to do what he's done. Uh, I mean, that that's the story of the Bible as Clifton's been presenting it. It is the marriage relationship between Israel the nation and God. And, and no matter how bad it gets and, and how much we sin, he maintains his commitment to Israel, even so far as to die for her. And that's the model relationship with a man and a wife, and, 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 and that's the way we should all act towards our commitments. But we should all be taught these things in our youth. And society doesn't teach us these things in our youth. Society teaches us today that it teaches us lasciviousness and licentiousness. And, and if we can rise above that, we're noble creatures. That's the most noble thing we could do. If we could rise above the cesspool of this society, that, that's an amazing thing. And few of us can do that. And, and I sure as hell couldn't. If, we, if more of us were taught these things in our youth, we'd have, a, a, we'd have the kingdom of heaven. You know, it was something I was thinking about today. Um, and, and it's been mentioned quite a few times here. Um, that, you know, it's not... It's not Yahweh that tempts us. It, it's our fleshly desires. And, and that's what James explains, know, I, right, exactly. I've heard that quite a few times, and, you know, it's, it was just one of those things where it, it kind of went, went in one ear and out the other, maybe. You know, because you understand that on the surface, on the face of it. But after you sit down and you really think about it, I mean, you know, like... Um, let's just say, uh, you know, you get, there's repercussions for, for everything based upon your desires. Now, like with, uh, let's say just in terms of, of food, right? It's, it's a lot easier to pick up the processed foods, easy to eat, uh, or, or like a candy bar or something like that. It's not healthy for you, um, you know, there ends up being actual health repercussions for that if you continue down that road. Just going with the easy, quick fix, going with your desires rather than what you need. Did I hear my name being called here earlier? Oh, my. Oh, you're here as a guest? What, what is this, talk show now? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Mike, I, I mentioned you, your name earlier just to get your take on the, the, the marriage issue within uh, CI. Oh, I, I thought I heard my name being called. I was in the middle of beating my wife and kids, but um, yeah, I'd like, I could talk about that. Well, my first 30 minutes here was, was talking about marriage relationship and, and CI believers and non-believing spouses and 
I went deep into one Corinthians chapter seven and 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 went went read that and and gave my best explanations for it. Right. Yeah, I, I was listening. I was just in the middle. Of, I, I had you on. I was having, putting my kids to bed. But um, yeah, I guess as far as examples go in here, I'd probably qualify for someone to speak on that particular subject. Oh, I can't ever understand that Renee was anything but a believer because she's just a wonderful young woman. Yeah, yeah. Um, she certainly wasn't that when I met her. And, uh, there's a couple of points I'd like to make right off the bat. Uh, a good woman is never found. She's made by a good man. And uh, a woman is not to lead. The man is. And if the woman does not understand it, the relationship will never work. Um, you can call it male chauvinistic all you want, but uh, a woman is to be treated just slightly superior to a child to be honest in my in my in my experience uh renee knows this very well and is that uh the the a woman's mentality to me now you guys can have all your own views all you want but i have a very successful relationship on these views renee is a very happy individual um she is far more improved than when i met her and she's a very strong individual she does have her own individual initiative but when it comes down to it uh, I do the thinking and the decision making in this family and uh, she's completely fine with that because that alleviates responsibility and, and repercussions on her behalf and um, it, it makes her feel that she has a strong leader in the family and that's exactly what I am and that's exactly if you don't hold that leadership and let that leadership be known that you're the, you're the alpha male and there is no other male there to, to be alpha with you um, it, you know, I certainly, uh, you know, if somebody's going to jump up off the gun and go, oh, you, you beat your wife and all that, no, it's nothing to do with that. It has to do with being very, very um, mentally strong. And I was, you know, I was hearing Matt talk about dietary um, issues and such. That is definitely a, 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 uh, a sign of weakness, of mental weakness. I have those of my own. I let my wife know. I still smoke cigarettes. I, I did quit. Right before my son went to ICU a month and a half ago, and I picked it back up, um, I, I still cannot kick the the stupid energy drink habit. I tell my wife straight up, it's it's a it's a. So, oh, got dropped. Mike also has connection issues. Everybody who tries to come here on a satellite or an air card or it, it's um, I mean, technology is a wonderful thing, but it's far from being a hundred percent reliable, right? Limited. If a cloud gets in the way, you're just in trouble. That's terrible. Maybe he'll be back in a minute. We'll have to ask him when he gets back if he was as improved as she was, and if she has the same high opinion of him in his improvement as he does in her. Just to joke around with him a little. Oh, well, you should ask him if he's as improved as she is. And I think that he will admit that he is. I think he's um, he's already admitted that. And I'm sure he's humble enough to admit it again that he's improved a lot in the last, um, say, 10 years of his life. And we should all seek to continually improve ourselves and become better people because we're all far from perfect, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's been, I mean, that's been one of my mottos throughout my life is, uh, you know, is to be the best that, that you can be and do the best that you can do continually and you can only get better with that mentality at, at anything that you do. That sounds like the army. Be all that you can be. <laughs> you know the army's slogan, Matt? 
Well, you forgot the silent part of that, and that was for the Jews. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go kill. Go 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 kill for it's a lie. <laughs> go get him. Go get him. Go get him for the Jew. But I have to say, you know, I I do agree with with Mike when he was talking about how uh, his marriage relationship and his family situation is established. I mean, that's. I don't view it as male chauvinism, but, I mean, that's been one thing that I tried to establish from the beginning with my wife is that, you know, the natural order of things, it does not establish the man and the woman as two equals. You cannot have, you know, two people with equal say within a household because if you butt heads, you don't have a third party. It's not, that's not the issue. You know, you have the head of household. You have the the, the male as the, the king of the household. And as the wife, um, she if she loves her husband, then she will trust him to make all the proper decisions that will do nothing but benefit her and the family. Well, well right. And if she loves her God, then she won't mind her, her role. She'll accept it gleefully. And understanding that without without relationship, life has absolutely no meaning whatsoever. I mean, that's that's the beauty of the Almighty, is it? That's why I think He's uh, we're responsible for this rotten society too. You know, the Jews, yeah, they're the instigators. We we've bought into it, and we have to realize that totally. And some of us have been fornicators in the past, and uh, others have done other things, but. So, so we come out of doing those things. That's what's important, right? Absolutely, Bruce. But I always wondered what it would be like to be married to a, a, a white woman. I never have been, you know. And, but I, maybe the time will come. Maybe not. But so it's not the end all, be all. But then again, it's it's a great blessing to have a relationship where you get along together. And I, 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 I commend you on the fact that Cheryl herself had come to uh, recognize uh, Jacob Israel identity, you know. It's great. Praise Yahweh for that. Yeah, amen, Bruce. Is Mike back yet to finish? Oh, he must be having a hard time con- connecting. That's all right. Well, um, I'm, I'm not paying enough attention to the chat. I'm pacing the floor, and Mark's asking about going out on the boys on a Friday night. Well, well, the scripture says what it says. You know, I can't, I can't change the scripture. I, I mean, I lived that lifestyle the, the entire time I was married, and, and now I realize I was screwing up. That's the way it is. Poor Cammy can't stay connected. She's going to have to listen to the podcast. Yeah. Uh, it's a shame that that satellite internet is terrible. The people that um. I don't know that would have liked to hear this most can't, right? <laughs> that's, that's the way it is. I think the comment on the boys on Friday night, you know, that, I guess it depends on the purpose of it. You know, sometimes it's nice to maybe to have a little separation just to be able to have a, a fresh... Well, well, you know, you can rationalize what you want, but the temptation for incontinence is great, and, and some of us are strong and never fail, but, but um, yeah, you know, or never fall to that temptation. But I would say that the majority of our race, most of the time, fails. You go out with the boys. You get lot You go to a. You end up at three drinks. You end up at a strip club getting a lap dance or something crazy like that. I've seen it a million times. Well, you hang around the wrong people. 
It just, well, that's what that's what, that that's that mentality that going out with the boys mentality that it it's you're always going to be tempted, and and you may not fail all the time, but you are going to fail. Well, there again, it depends if you on keep the, putting the yourself purpose. in temptation's way, and and that's what Paul says. Going that's what Paul says. He says, "For sake of incontinence," and it may not be your incontinence. You might think you're going out with the boys on Friday night, and 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 your wife. Well, guess what? The the guy next door, he's been watching you go out with the boys on on Friday night, and every Friday night for two years. <laughs> he could sneak in when you're going to work. Right. I mean, the scripture says what it says, and 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 we should consider those things. And and even though in one Corinthians chapter seven Paul admits only giving an opinion, uh, I think it's probably a very studied and valuable and honorable opinion, and and those things still hold true today. So the scripture is what it is, and I won't try to rewrite it. Men can rationalize away the scripture all they want. I, I mean, in in not in every chapter, but in every aspect. But I wouldn't try that, and I wouldn't advise it. What else do we have tonight? Well, we got to have something else tonight. This can't be another one-hour open forum. It's got to get better than this. There's two dozen people here. They got to be have something to say. What about that? Uh, uh, did you hear about the fallout that might occur over the north northwest United States from those Japanese uh, nuclear plants? Yeah, but I don't. I think there's a lot of fear mongering going on in, involved with that. Um, I read a couple articles today concerning it and a lot of the the fear mongering going on is is coming from residual bloggers and things of that nature who have taken off with with some of the earlier information um, but a lot of your radiologists and uh, quite a few scientists uh, that are obviously keeping tabs on that situation um, are not they're not as, as leery about it, and I think what most people should uh, think about, because obviously, you know, with this big scare, I said to Cheryl earlier today, I'm like, I wonder how many people are going to overdose on iodine, because they're all popping iodine freaking pills, you know, and they don't know how to take them. Oh, yeah, I, I you know, I don't know how much, obviously, the, whatever goes over the Jew media that's going to be hyped up or... You know, I wouldn't take an iodine pill, and, and I wrote a paper last year discerning the culture of fear, and, and I should probably rewrite it and make it stronger, right? But because, yeah, you know, Christ says in Matthew chapter 24, verses 38 and 39, For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. All of these people that worry about what's going to happen tomorrow, that they should only be worried about what they're going to be caught doing when Christ returns. That's the Christian message. That's the Christian intent. That's what a Christian should do. He should be worried about what he is going to be caught doing at the return of his true master. We shouldn't care about... I hope Tokyo melts through the core of the earth. I don't. It'd make me happy. I wouldn't be worried one bit about fallout. But 
we don't care about fallout. We don't care about... It, it's interesting to watch these things play out. It's interesting to see what happens on the world stage. It's interesting to see clowns like Obama grovel and be, before all of the the foreign races of the world, the aliens of the world, and and and... and bring our nation prostrate because that's where it belongs to be because we're a nation of sinners. But as far as um, what, what disaster looms around the corner, I don't care. The coming of Christ, he states explicitly, it's going to be at a time when everybody's just having a ball. It don't sound like any, any big, um, you know, all, all of this tribulation coming, tribulation coming, that these, that, that's futurism. And that's Eli. He's all caught up in futurism. He, he talks about the coming tribulation. The coming. We've been in tribulation for two thousand years. It ain't gonna change. But when it, when when Christ returns, it sounds to me like people are gonna be having a jolly good time. So so if this fallout that hits the Northwest, so what? You can't control it, so why worry about it? That, that's, I, I mean, it, it's nice to watch what's going on, but let's put things in perspective, and, and let's not have fear about what might happen to us. And that's oh, yeah, Christian. Was, uh, There's no love and fear. I wasn't encouraging worry or fear. I was just mentioning, right. you know, that... And, and, yeah. And, and there's no um, total breakdown, chaotic, anarchic society coming as far as um, the gospel is concerned. Things are going to be just hunky-dory when Christ returns. I mean, yes, the economic system, Babylon, has to fall. But if the Jewish economic system falls, is that going to adversely affect us the way we think it is? It shouldn't. I think that we'll be marrying and giving in marriage and eating and drinking and just having a ball. And, and then a whole lot of people are going to say, oh, shit, I've been screwing up, and it's too late, because that time's going to be here. That day is going to be here. Well, and, and along with this fear-mongering that's going on, especially with the, the tsunami stuff, you know, and you've got uh, movies out there like, um, what the hell is the name of that one movie where basically the there's huge flooding, you know, and you've got water world, crap like that. And people just completely ignore that, you know, what the rainbow actually means. The, the rainbow is one of uh, Yahweh's first permanent covenants with us, and it's marked in the sky that he will, he will never destroy uh, his creations again through a flood. Well, well, Bruce, I'm not trying to get on you. So I'm just trying to put things in perspective, right? That's all. I'm just trying to keep... I hate that, that, that culture of fear that, that these people are always purveying. It, it's one disaster looming after another disaster. And, and it's all just... It, it's phony theology. It's definitely phony theology. It's not real. It's not scriptural. But we've been in a disaster for, for 2,000 years. And, and a disaster oh, yeah. is us. <laughs> We're the disaster. <laughs> well, yeah, the life's a battlefield, a constant conflict from when we're born until we die, and it's been going on for 25, right. 20 years or so. And, uh, yeah, it, it's, I, I guess the, the so-called, well, the so-called modern world, they, they termed that back in the, when Christ was here, too. They used those terminologies, too, according to their intellectual, you know, the Pharisees, Sadducees. 
But, well, you know, if an earthquake hit California tomorrow and it fell into the ocean, I, I just shrug my shoulders and say, oh, well, they had it coming. <laughs> well, I'd much rather see Manhattan go in the water. If an atomic bomb hit Manhattan, New York, and, and incinerated 8 million people, I just shrug my shoulders and say, oh, well, they had it coming. Well, we and, and let me tell you something. Four of my own kids would go with it. And I shrug my shoulders and say, oh, well, they had it coming. And, and life has to go on. But I'm not going to sit and worry about it, or I'm not going to sit and worry about what they might do to me, or, or whether they were going to come take me away, or, or, or whether they were going to round us all up and put us in FEMA camps. If they rounded us all up and put us in FEMA camps, we get a chance to meet each other. <laughs> there you go. That's the way I look at that. <laughs> They'd be doing us a favor. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if they rounded up all the all the um the right wing extremist dissidents and put us in FEMA camps, we wouldn't have to deal with any niggers. <laughs> That's the way I look at that. <laughs> all that fear stuff, there's no love in fear, period. So I I always like to try to put that in perspective. That's all. Well, we won't talk about that then, because that's fear. Yeah. Okay. Well, right. I'm not saying we don't have to talk about it as long as we keep it in perspective. I mean, if fallout hits the Pacific Northwest, you, you know what I would think? That's the judgment of God. Because in, in Washington State, they let men sleep with horses. So God's judgment has come upon them. They, they probably had it coming. I'm sure they did. That's the way it is. Well, but one has to be awful uh, careful, too, because the Bolsheviks probably had that feeling towards the czars and the white Germans. You know what I'm saying? Well, the Bolsheviks are Satan, and they want to destroy all of us. But they only have the power over us that Yahweh allows them. Hmm? It's not their doing. It's ours. It's our sin. Yeah, we're responsible. But this is something that, this is a ball that rolled 2,500 years ago, right? We as a people have to return to our God. Now, how much travail it's going to take to do that, but... According to Christ, Matthew 24, most of us will not have turned to our God at his return. We'll be eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. If the flood comes and takes everybody away and you're still here, rejoice. And I'm not, I'm talking about a flood allegorically because Matt's right about the rainbow promise. And it speaks of the flood that comes out of the dragon pursuing the, the remnant of her seed, too, huh? Well, well right. They, that flood's taking a whole lot of us away. Yeah. Oh, I see um, Profink was back, but maybe he left again. Is he here? Yes, he's here. Hello, Mike. I see the cloud moved and you have a connection again. Oh, he's not paying attention. He's here, but he's not paying attention. Michael. He's probably busy with his kids. That's all right, too. Well, if anybody else wants to talk, just ask. This is an open forum. Yeah. But, well, Mike, if your net drops again, it's better than complete silence anyway. <laughs> we might have that if you don't talk. You mentioned earlier about the, the marriage and ideas like that. But one thing that I don't know who it was, but recently they were saying that if there's any problems with politics, there's any problems with morals, it's all the fault of the church, as it ought to be, and well, even as it is. Uh, that they're not preaching the right word, they're not condemning the sins and the errors. And so a lot of times people never hear it, even though they go to church and regularly they never hear it. 
I think that was something I quoted from from an 18th century writer or 19th century writer on the 10 10 10 programs. Didn't what? Well, didn't I quote something like that? Something like that. Yeah. Where if there's anything wrong, it's the church's fault because they didn't stand up or, or preach up what they're supposed to do. Well, right. But even even the mainstream, all the mainstream religions since the middle of the 19th century have basically been whores for the Jews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know how did how, how did the um, the, the bankers caused the Civil War. Well, well, it's pretty easy that, or, or how do they succeed in in forcing us into this into the war of northern aggression? If I have to term it properly, they got all these Yankee Baptist preachers to preach against slavery. How did that happen? Money, power, corruption. I'm, 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 it's a combination of things. None of those Yankee Baptist preachers opened that Bible and and read just what I read in Paul. Even if you want to say, even if you want to think by the wildest imagination that a Negro beast could possibly be a Christian, right? All you have to do is open up to one Corinthians chapter seven, where it says, "In bondage were you called? You must remain in bondage." I mean, if you're a slave, you're a slave. If you could purchase yourself out of slavery, fine. The New Testament observes property rights. And that includes the property rights of people who own slaves. So we don't take our brother's property away from him. That's stealing. Right? But they still found ways to justify it in the Yankee Baptist churches. To justify riling the people against the South. To get the, the, the common consent of the people to go into the war against those mean southern slave owners, right? I, I mean, it's all propaganda. The, the, these mainstream church, what the point I'm trying to make is these mainstream churches have been whores for the Jews for a long time. And, and that's one glaring example. And, and it's only gotten worse since Bullinger and Schofield. Now, now they worship the devil. Now, now the evangelicals and the Baptists and the Lutherans, they all worship Satan. They worship Satan and think that they're the children of God. <laughs> yeah, isn't that amazing? I mean, it's complete fulfillment of prophecy. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's our fortune or misfortune. They have to be here when it happens. Or at least it's heading in that direction strongly. Oh, Mike, you're breaking up terrible. I'm sorry. That 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 connection. There must be more clouds between you and the satellite. Or, or you in the cell tower or whatever. Take that air car- card and tell them to upgrade you to a G4. Four. More better. It's better? I don't know anything yeah. about cell cards. Yeah, it's more better. You know, you know that explanation of the uh, the four beasts in Daniel and Revelation 13 is really excellent. That um, It's very clear, you know, the way you described it. You know. well, what's that, Bruce? The four beasts in, uh, mentioned in Revelations as far as Daniel chapter 7 goes. Well, well yeah, the, the beasts of Revelation 13 go right hand in hand with the beasts of Daniel chapter 7. And how they try to make uh, the uh, mountain, the stone cut out of the mountains, the, um, the Arya, Arya uh, trying to say that's Rome, the Romish church. Well, yeah, it's the it's the Germanic people that destroyed those kingdoms, not the Romish Church. So, so Satan given power to the beast to the Romish Catholicism was 
all taken place in Middle Ages. And now you mentioned a poem where you quoted a fellow, a man, that was about the fact that the Jews were behind the Inquisitions. The Thirty Years' War. Mm -hmm. the Jews, were, Jewish, the Jews were behind the papacy in yeah. the Middle Ages. The, the De Medici's and the Borgias were crime families, and they were Jews. Yeah. They were converso Jews. They were crypto Jews. They, they were de Medici's. They were bankers. They weren't popes. In fact, <laughs> the, the de Medici, Giovanni de Medici, when he became the um, pope during the Fifth Lateran Council, he wasn't even a priest. He was a damn banker. He wasn't even a priest. <laughs> they made him the pope. <laughs> he probably never opened the Bible. <laughs> Maybe it happened there like they did here in America where the, the the earlier popes borrowed so much money that they couldn't pay it back, so they just took over the administration of the church, just like they did in 33 here. But, well, I don't know about the financial history of, of the medieval Romish church, but um, well, well, if it wasn't for their own greed and pomp and, 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 and glory-seeking, they wouldn't need much to borrow money, right? Mm-hmm. If they weren't already in sin, they wouldn't have to borrow money. The act of having to borrow money by, by a, a, a bishop of an assembly—that—that's the—I uh, mean—that's the first sign that he's a sinful man. This Friday, you're going to be going over four chapters, Bill. Did I say that? I—I I, I asked. I, uh, or I pretty much think I'll probably get fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen in the Revelation this Friday. I—I I mean, I may not. I haven't prepared my notes yet, right? I see. I have an outline, but I haven't yet prepared my notes. I think I might have only, uh, uh, well, well, definitely not more than four more Revelation segments left. And, and maybe only three, but probably four. I'm not 100% sure until I sit to do my notes. Yes, sir. Depends on how much has to be discussed that's pertinent. So I just hope it's been constructive and, and enlightening and, and um, better than anything else you've heard in CI. I, I don't want to sound arrogant, but... I've had those other compare and, and people like that to build on, right? Yeah. To observe what I think of their, of, of their um, where they were correct and to follow them in that and, and to observe where I think they were in error and to try to correct the record, right? That, that's my goal. I mean, someday somebody will correct me. I just try to do the best I can. Well, so far, I mean, there's... And with everything based on history and and the way you've been able to explain it, you know, it just it fits so well with the rest the rest of the scripture. And there's I mean, if it's certain places where it would be obvious that, you know, you're grasping at straws, I mean, at least for one, you I'm sure you're man enough to say, well, hey, you know, I'm just going to be throwing some conjecture out here on this one. You know, it's not necessary, and it's good that we've had uh, the, the Comparais and the, and the Swifts to be able to build upon. Oh, well, right. Well, you know, Go ahead, Bruce. But in, a, in a way, it's also good to be ignorant of them, too, to a certain extent, so that, like, you know, like Plato or Socrates or somebody says so-and-so said this or that or the other, um, it's good oh. not to know it anything and then go from there well i've read swift and, and i've read rand and and 
and, and I've read Compare, and I can't help but know what they said, and, and the things that I believed and, and thought they were true at have, have stayed with me, and the things that I didn't believe or thought they were wrong about, I've discarded over the years. And, and it's been, um, I haven't read Compare's Revelation series since I did the notes and the proofreading for Clifton M. Heiser's presentation of it. So I, I haven't read it for this presentation at all. And, and um, I looked at Rand's book in Revelation once, and he was so off base, I threw it right back on the shelf. He was so off base, it was incredible. And, and, um, and, and Compare thought that the second beast of Revelation chapter 13 was the United Nations, which is just ridiculous in, in the historical context and, and, um, and, and in the context of the scripture when it lines up so tightly with Daniel chapter 7 and, and points at everything that Justinian did to establish the papacy as we know it, which was definitely the second beast of Revelation. I think at the time of Compare and, uh, and him there, the Soviet uh, threat and the United Nations as being uh, uh, just a tool of the commies was a big subject at that time. And they all were looking at that as this is the terrible beast, you know. It was well, really heavy. I'm going to continue the historical exposition of the Revelation because I believe that the, um, the first vial and, and the sword upon men is capitalism and a usury-based economy. And, and I'm pretty confident with that. But as we get closer to today's time, the, the interpretations aren't as clear. That, that's just the way it is, right? I, I mean, 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, somebody might look back and see something perfectly clear because it's been fulfilled. Uh, but I believe that the, um, the French Revolution gave Jews in Europe and, and equal citizenship and Napoleon in France, and Napoleon exported that to the rest of Europe. And, and that's really when the stage was set for the, for the dominance of the House of Rothschild over all the economies of Europe and, and the um, usury-based economy and beginning of capitalism, which is evil. Capitalism is not good. Free enterprise is good. Free enterprise and capitalism are not the same. A usury-based economy is evil in the eyes of God. And, and that's what I believe is the sore upon men. Oh, there's no question about that. And, and I'll be getting into that Friday. And you know, there's, there's no other system out there that um, thrives and prospers so much off of our innate uh, greed and susceptibility to um, our desires. But, well, right. But, but with capitalism, with, with this usury-based economy, every dollar you have in your pocket means that you owe the Jew interest. Or somebody somewhere along the line, one of your brethren, owes a Jew interest. Every dollar in your pocket. That's why it's called a note. But, well, right. Every dollar that comes into the economy... That, that men can use to buy the things they need, already commands interest the moment it's printed, the moment it's created. And who, who gets the interest, that, who requires the interest is its creator, which is a privately controlled central bank. It's not even the government. It's evil. It's evil. You can't work anywhere without taking part in that interest system. That's the sore upon men. <laughs> There ain't nothing else that's a bigger than a bigger grievous sword than that. It's allegorical. I'll be talking about it in, in greater depth Friday, I pray.
Yeah, there definitely isn't, aren't, are not any, uh, there's no virtue or eternal values in uh, being attached to uh, Jew script, that's for damn sure. But in the order that the, the, the revelation is unfolded, uh, I equate Revelation chapter 14 with, with the, the rise of, of usury-based capitalism and, and all the social revolutions of, of Europe. So we'll see how that works out. I'm going to be preparing my notes on Wednesday, maybe even tomorrow night, because I have a Euro Forum Thursday, and the Bible stuff. Any better now? It's more better, Mike. It's more better. You can hear me. One, two, three, four. Yes, sir. There you go, Mike. We'll see how it works. I just, I just uh, took a lamp off from my wall lights in the RV and wrapped a whole bunch of tin foil around the inside of it and stuffed this USB thing and tried getting a their signal. We'll see how long this works. You could be um the the next satellite dish magnate. You you could make satellite dishes for everybody in a trailer park. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, huh? Send one to Cammy because she she's been dropping out all night. I think she gave up again. It's a shame. Just don't wear yeah, that tinfoil on your head. Yeah, yeah. I feel bad because she really wants to be here. She really wants to hear it. Listen, but um, not working out for her. How, when did I drop off last time? I kind of lost my mojo now, but talk about the man being the head of the family and uh, better, better, better off with each other. And uh, well, Munica wants to know if you've improved the last few years. That's what he, he the statement he made after. Well, it's my my inquiry, my polite, gentlemanly, and good <laughs> inquiry. Have you gotten any better? If she has. That's that's not a, that's, well, that's that's not a that's really nothing for her to gauge on. But uh, you know, it's, you know, how about you? Do you think you've improved any? Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where self self improvement is Jewish, anyways, right, Mike? Well, no, I went full flavor to like since you know since we met her, so. <laughs> Smoking stronger cigarettes. <laughs> no, lighter ones. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> kind of unfortunate. A wife can't gauge the progress of her husband, but the husband can gauge the progress of his wife. Yeah, exactly. That's how the chain command goes. That's what it's a flack here. <laughs> I'm I'm dead serious about that. I let her know that right to her face. That's this is how it is in this household. You know, uh, the, man, I, I I don't know how to to describe the denigration of of the manlyhood and the family unit. Right, the Jew is destroyed. It. The Frankfurt School destroyed it. The Jews destroyed it. I'm sorry, Mike. You're cutting in and out. I didn't realize you were still talking. Nah, you're cutting in and out again. Ah, oh, crap. Here we go. Yeah. Like we go this horrible. More foil, Mike. More foil. Well, well, what's happened in our society since since 
well, before the Second World War, is a plan. It's laid out by the Jews. It's laid out in the Communist Manifesto. It's laid out in the Protocols of Zion. It's it's laid out in the doctrines of the Frankfurt School and other Jewish institutions. They've had every intent to destroy the nuclear Christian family and and especially the patriarchal society and and the family is a building block to the nation and and by that they've broken down the entire fabric of civilization by consistently attacking the family unit and the strong central father figure in the family unit dominant male role and a dominant male figure which has been traditional in our race since the time of Adam, and which is the only um, viable family structure or, or s- structure of civilization that we could have. And, and the Jews have, honest, ha- have actively sought to destroy that for hundreds of years now. Am I coming in any better now? No, that's better. Well, I, I would just like to point out, too, you brought up a really good point there about Adam. I, I mean... Uh, Adam probably should have been a little more dominant, or we wouldn't have learned our first and original lesson when when Eve wanted to go to that garden. You should have been like, get your get your butt back. You're not going anywhere near there. If he had control of woman, the better back then, we wouldn't be in this mess, would we? <laughs> well, right. Compromise was the second sin in the garden. Adam compromised. Eve screwed up, and Adam compromised by accepting her in her sin, and and that that that's what started us off on this. Adam should have went right to God and said, Hey, that woman you made me, well, she really screwed up now, so why don't you just get me another one? (laughs) (laughs) And standing up for for the law of God, Adam would not have fallen. But he didn't stand up for the law. He caved into his wife. I'm not saying every woman is an Eve, but that's the model that we have to go on, right? No, it's it's just how their psyche is built. I mean, they're... They're built to, I don't know, for lack of better words, to serve a patriarch. And the Jews have positioned themselves to be an artificial patriarch since the time of Adam and Eve. You know, if you look on on the, on the TVs, the way they got the state system set up, the court systems, the lawyers, the judges, and everything, they act as a, as a, as a, as a, um, a surrogate patriarch to a woman, which is why the divorce rate so high. Because as soon as a woman gets mad, you, you, your feet stink one day, and they're off to the courts and the lawyers, and they, they'll coddle her, make her feel safe and secure, and get everything you own. I mean, that's the whole mentality. You know, a woman is based off of that, that weakness to want a patriarch. Well, well absolutely. It's, it's what we've replaced the society of Adam with the society of Satan, there's no doubt. And the Jews have purposely done that, and we've fallen for it. Eve was deceived when the transgression occurred, and Adam was not. Paul makes that very, very clear, and I think it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And, and um, that means that Eve had been seduced, and Adam sinned purposely, because he chose his wife rather than the law of God. Yeah, I would, I, I would probably put that... Since both of sins on, on Adam's head, to be honest, because like, like you said, Eve was deceived, and uh, you know a- Adam obviously didn't uh, did, didn't stroll. At some point or another, at that point, he he let her go to that garden and make that decision to go there, and, and didn't stand up. And then on a second, like it was, uh, he conceded to do it as well. So, 
But, well, that's why Paul said, and, and I just read it, and, and um, yeah, you know, a few of the guys questioned the, the, the idea, but that, that's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that you really shouldn't leave your wife alone. And, and husbands can be tempted, too, in, into being um, in, into sinful situations, but they aren't doing it by being deceived. They're doing it by letting the desire and the lust in their heart rule over them, and, and that's always a sin. But that's why we shouldn't leave ourselves alone or leave our wives alone, is because of incontinence. Paul made that very clear in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Oh, absolutely. There, yeah, there's... My wife doesn't go anywhere out of the house without me. Uh, you know, maybe her family's house, but, you know, probably not even out with her sister. It just won't happen. You know, I'll go out and do my own thing if she's at home with the kids and the dog and I know she's safe, but I rarely ever do that. Um, you know, and I would especially like to add, too, that your daughters, you never let your daughter go beyond your sight until you physically give her away in marriage to to a uh, to another patriarch that is going to be her leader, you know. So as far as daughters go, I, you know, I have no intentions of ever sending my daughter off to some scummy ass Jew infested university that's going to tell her to dike out on some niggers, you know, vajayjay, or uh, go to the military and fight for some Jew wars. Certainly go to some Negro club so she can bump her booty up on, on some wigger or nigger. You know, that's just not happening. That's not happening. She's never wearing no jeans. She's not wearing no pants. And, uh, you know, that's just, it's not happening. As far as I'm concerned, she's going to be modeled after an Amish woman, you know, as far as, as far as the moral structures and dress go. Yeah, well, that would be a wonderful thing. That, that wouldn't be a bad thing at all. And, and there are, there are actually women up here that, that do dress like that. There are some. Most of them are farm girls. And, and you see them in town once in a while. And, and I really admire and respect those people for not embracing this modern culture and the sickness that, that's going around. There are some people up here like that. But it's, yeah, you know, if, if it's very difficult to hold on to a child in, in, in this day and age. It's a challenge. You have to be consistently diligent. Yeah, exactly. It's like what Dan, Dan was dealing with. You know, his 13-year-old daughter has already, you know, been deflowered, you know, and, and she's dealing with, you know, she's got a Tupac poster up above her bed. And, and he was dealing with a lot of these issues. And I told him, I said, I said, first off, you got her in a public school system. You live in a major city. You know, he's always like, oh, i got to fight with her every time and blah, blah, blah. I says, well, how do you fight as one individual against an entire system of brainwashing? You let her watch TV. You let her go to a public school. You let her hang out with every mongrel mutt in, in the neighborhood. I said, that you can't do that. You know, that's, yep. that's your property, your offspring. You don't let that. So the first thing you do is take her out of the environment, you know, and I've made plenty of offers for him to come up north where we were at where it's all white, there's a lot of people I know that homeschool, like Chuck's family, he's got seven kids, he homeschools them all, and, um, you know, once once you have that battle under control, you can slay them, I mean, if you look at Chuck's kids, uh, every one of them kids are like angels, you know, they really are. Yeah, I'm sure they probably are, My, I have a cousin here, and, and she's a mainstream Baptist, and they're way off base with a lot of things, don't get me wrong, because they're mainstream Baptists, but my cousin homeschools, my cousin Amy, she homeschools two daughters, and they are absolutely angels. That they're, they're the best little girls you'd ever want to meet, right? That's the way it is. And and she homeschools them. They don't go to public school. They don't watch television. And and um, that it's a joy to meet these girls. 
it's a shame that they're mainstream Baptists and and that they're that they're being polluted in in ways that they don't realize. But but um, it, it's still you can see a huge difference between them and and children who who are raised in public schools. Well, t- take for instance, you know that that kid that made that video. He probably made it at 19 or 20. He was up on your site about the uh, uh, Jews, the race, and the solution. That really good one. He's not CI, but um. He's, he's really young. It's a really good video. He had it up for a while. Yeah, Goyim Pride. I still have it up. Yeah, that that kid was homeschooled, not vaccinated, and everything. I mean, he, he turned. He seems to be one of the brightest kids I've ever talked to in that age bracket. You know, he's only. I think he just turned 21. He had that video years ago. So. Well, don't everybody talk at once. <laughs> I think I'm gonna sign off here and uh, at least head upstairs, maybe. Okay, Matt. Yeah, bless. God bless Pat. Yeah. Maybe what you should say is uh, everybody, let's have everybody talk all at once. <laughs> if getting them not to talk all at once means they're all wait, tell them to talk all at once. Let's see what happens. I kind of wish Renee was home right now. I'd, I'd like to have her give a piece of her mind in here about this whole uh, marriage thing as well. Maybe next Yeah, no, it would know. probably be um, great to hear her. When he was talking about that, and that his wife go here and there, it reminds me a lot of the, what they hear from these Muslim men with their with their burqas and their stuff like that, where the women are not allowed to go out of the house. It's against their Islamic law. They can't go out of the house, can't go anywhere without a relative, can't be seen alone with men that are not their husband, stuff like that. It, it kind of borders on that. And you can kind of yeah, see not, maybe. Knock them all you want, Minakar, but they ain't got to debate like all the white countries right now. I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying it sounds familiar. No, I I, I absolutely admire uh, that particular aspect of of their, if you want to call it culture or religion. Uh, I I admire their diligence against usury and fags as well, you know. But, you know, I could say that about a bunch of different groups that are absolutely despicable out there. But, uh, yeah, at the same time, I I think um, the way they deal with their women is, is... Pretty much spot on. Did you guys get into the rule of thumb law that originated? <laughs> I've spoken about that a lot. The rule of thumb law was actually originated because a man was allowed to beat his wife or his children with a stick as long as it wasn't larger than his thumb. Stick. You can still do that here in uh, North Carolina under state law. You're allowed to take your woman up to the courthouse and beat her with a stick no bigger than your thumb on the courthouse steps. Wow. Oh. Uh, maybe not beat her, uh, whip her senseless. I don't know how they put it. but so, so you're moving to North Carolina. No, I'm kidding. I'm only kidding. <laughs> I'm out here. <laughs> you're staying permanently. <laughs> Cheryl said I'm not moving there. <laughs> well, that was how the rule of thumb originated. And I'm not saying that we always had a just society. Well, we've had a lot of injustice in society, but a strong family unit has to be based around a strong fatherly, um, a strong manly authority. That's just the way it is. And, and without that, we can't have strong families. And without strong families, we have weak nations. And what we what we see in the world today is the direct result of the Jewish breakdown of, of the family unit in our society. And and we've allowed it to happen and, and here we are. 
You know, I haven't looked into it to, to verify this, but I would be willing to bet that North Carolina as a state probably has a lower divorce rate than others. Because I could just picture the woman going to court and uh, for a divorce, and the husband is waiting up there with a big old switch. <laughs> no, but, I mean, yeah, there's there's, there's certainly, um, you know, like I said, it's not, a, it's not an object of oppression because, you know, I certainly give, you know, like I said, my wife individual initiative in the family and, you know, her own views and such like that. But, uh, you know, ultimately when it when it comes down to it, no matter how staunchly we disagree, I, I got the final word and that's it. You know, and there's a lot of times that I'll tell her she's right, yeah, you know, you know, or or if I make a decision, I'm wrong on it. It's not in her head. It's on mine. And I say, yeah, you were right. But at the same time, you know, it's, um, you know, every decision is finalized by me. You know, that's just, we certainly don't argue with Yahweh. Well, that's the way it should be. And, and if she fulfills that role, then she's an honorable woman who who's doing the will of God. That, that's the way it should be, Mike. Well, not only that, she's she's on, she's a, truly a lot more happier, and she's able to deal with things. I mean, I met she was a complete mess, you know. And I wasn't too far off better. I was, you know, into what I was in at that time, you know, at least on a, a good road, a good path at that point. But you know, she was she was getting ready to go down a pretty bad path. You know, she's doing all right for herself as far as holding out, but uh, it wasn't going to be much longer being in Milwaukee at that point, you know, because she moved from a really small town and. You know, went to the big university in Milwaukee there that was the library named after Gold in My Ear and whatever. So, but, um, yeah, yeah, she, she ain't got no problem with telling anybody that I've rescued her. You know, that's, that's for sure. But, well, no, that's wonderful. And, and it's a, it's really a, a joy to hear her talk. It, it really is. And you should be proud of that. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's really hard to get a woman to lay aside the things of the society. I, I mean, the enticements are so strong. Well, that's, you know, two of the first things I did is I eliminated basically music and television out of her life, you know. And and once you've done that, you, your battle's half won. I mean, once you get them to best from the BS that they put out there, you know, you can start working towards a positive path. But if you let that stuff slide and, you know, you got cable TV on in the house and, and uh, they got they got uh, Snoop Dogg or Creed or all this crap that they got out there that they call music, you know. Then um, then you're just gonna be fighting an uphill battle. Like I said, Dan was dealing with his daughter. He's just pulling his hair out trying to deal with her. And I said, I said you have to take her out of the environment. You have to take the, you know. Right. That's just right. got to be done. Right. You have Jews screaming in your living room. You have Jewish music in your living room all all 24/7 with with. Negro jungle music is going to make an impression on you if you if you subject yourself to it. There's no doubt. It, it's well designed to do that. Mental hygiene is 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 something that a lot of us totally lack. We subject ourselves to television and and um, novels and all, all sorts of of error, and, and they leave an impression on us whether we like it or not. But whether we think we can control it or not, they have a huge imp- negative impact on us. Yeah, that's the way I like to look at it. That Yahweh can use Yahweh can um, use our thoughts as a tool, but thought can't manipulate Yahweh. And that's that's the great error is when the mind invents all these deities and escapes. And Frankfurt School most definitely brought into society, which we are responsible for. They brought into our that weakness and our our good nature as Adamites. They brought in this 
uh, drive to always become better, always reach for the future. I'll call it a futurism in a sense of psychological becoming, be or not. But well, change in the name of progress is not good, right? Uh, I mean, that's yeah, and that's I think what you're driving at is they instilled in us that we should always be improving our society because it's progressive, and and what they've done is they've taken a society of God and steered it into the arms of Satan through that mentality. Yeah, where the state, where the uh, capitalist, communist, Jewish, Jew system projected this uh, state, uh, change the environment, and then you change man. But that doesn't, that it, it, it never worked that way, and it never will work that way. And uh, but, Well, we don't need change. We can't see change as a positive thing. Change is usually a negative thing. Yes, very, very much so. And we see the outcome of, of 150 years of change in, in our society right now, and we didn't need a damn bit of it. But we had the Jew and, and, and his liberal whores in, in the background telling us that we need this change. We need this change consistently in, in our media, in our papers, in our books, in, in our academia for 150 years. And it was just a Marxist ploy. Uh, it was a Talmudic ploy to, to destroy the fabric of our society. And, and we fell for it. Yeah, and in the 60s, the sex thing became all, you know, that was projected into the consciousness of society where, where sex, which is just part of life, becomes all important. But, well, they so, tried yeah. that a lot earlier, right? They actually did it in, in the late 19th century in Germany, and, and they've tried it earlier than that. Probably France and uh, Babylon and uh, even. It's the sin of the garden, right? There's a book I have here called The Art of Persuasion by Minnick, M-I-N-N-I-C-K, and I just got it. And he, he quotes mostly Jewish sources, so apparently it's a Jew himself. He's talking about these three uh, Jews that did a study, and he found out that if the audience is strongly committed, a message that advocates a substantial shift from its present position is almost sure to be rejected. And then he... Michael, you got feedback, Michael. Michael, your feedback is absolutely horrible. How do I stop that? I, I don't know, but please silence your microphone because I can't let it leak all over the recording, right? Thank you. But we'll we'll work it out when we're off the recording. Experience. A nation that is devoted to democratic government should, to the extent possible, forego revolutionary change in favor of gradual adaptation. And then down below here it talks about incremental alteration, incrementalism, you know, where they change it just a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more. Like the old classic, since you're a kid, you heard about the frog in the pot, pot of water getting slowly boiled away, you know. That's incrementalism. So they're saying here, and what amazes me is, how, do they have to have a study to find out that if, uh, if a whole group of people are saying this, you can't come along and get them to do that right away? I mean, that's, that's pretty pretty obvious. But they think that incrementalism, which is kind of what I've seen in the, in a video about the Frankfurt School, which I can't find again. It was on Newsnet 14 in the old way they had it, uh, and they don't know anything about it, oddly enough. But it talked about the Frankfurt School, and it talked about incrementalism, how they just slowly kind of came in, you know, and just moved right in. So that's uh, so if you're talking there over here just a while ago, you guys are talking about, about persuasion and whether it's whether change is good, 
and change comes about either by force or by persuasion. And the, obviously, persuasion is takes a lot longer, but it's more permanent because then all of a sudden people are are cheering you for taking away everything they had or giving them everything they had, whichever it might be. Was it was it Peter that said promising you liberty while they themselves are the slaves of corruption, or was that Paul? I think it was Peter. I don't know. I don't have my Bible program up and running. It takes a long time. Well, that freedom isn't isn't uh, inward. It's. But what are you trying to quote, Bruce? What What are you trying to say there? Oh, <laughs> uh, where they promise you liberty. I think it's First Peter. Let me look it up. Well, right. They promise you liberty and they make slaves out of you, basically. I, I know that. I know what you're saying. Yeah, but it's always an outward um, uh, reaching for, and the immediate understanding which is required in in Christ, Joshua, uh, understanding is immediately immediate. It's not in the future, because if 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 we can't if we can't understand it now, you know, we're dupes to follow any system or program or join some organization and uh, that's what it's always a a, a chasing after something projected from the mind that they have implanted in the mind which always has to do with uh, like for instance non-violence this thing about non-violence which is totally Jewish where instead of understanding my own envy and greed and search for power uh, they have this idea of nonviolence so that I'm never going to understand myself as long as I'm I'm reading into all those Jew books and so it has to be a total cutting off from all of that Jewish mythology and it's it demands a constant commitment too and it's a joy to understand oneself totally you're thinking about 2 Peter 2:18 and 19 for when they speak great swelling words of vanity. That sounds like them, right? That sounds like all these Jewish <laughs> philosophers, academics, politicians, the, the media. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh. Through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. And, and that's what the Jews preach, right? They preach freedom, and, and they, they, they bring people into economic bondage and, and political bondage while they preach freedom to them. And freedom to the Jew is only a freedom to debauch your daughter. That's all it is. And your son, because they'll do that too in, in a minute. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought into bondage. I should have read my own translation there instead of the King James. But that, that's exactly what they do. They, they promise us liberty, we buy it, and they make slaves out of us. Be, because we, well, we, we should never have to want liberty or freedom, because we should be bond servants of Christ, right? But we're yes, absolutely sir. not free, as Paul explained, and, and as I read before in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Yes, sir. And it has to come with uh, immediate understanding, with vitality and passion, not the actual interpretation of the Jews' word for passion, but um, one has to put one's whole heart into it, not not be halfway or not have any compromise, not have any anything hidden. Everything has to be in the open. 
And that's what it was with Christ. But Jews always work behind behind the curtain, right? Setting up their stage on every street corner. No doubt. Think on think on those things that are pure and good and lovely. Oh, okay. I'm going to end the program. I think two hours is enough, and we've probably um, overextended it. Okay. Thank you, everybody. This is the Christagenia Open Forum, and I'll see you all here next week. But I'll also see you on Talk Show on Friday. Yeah. Revelation chapter Sunday. 14. Thank you.